When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. Rusty Quill presents The Magnus Archives Episode 33 Boson's Call
would love to discuss this further, but as you can see, I have a recording. Oh, come on. Look, it's not a big deal. We just need to do a few of them again. Out of the question. It's just confusing, if not. Uh, like the garbage man's statement. Mr. Woodward. Yeah, so you said that Alan Parfit was reported missing uh, in August 2009, which had actually be uh, six months after the statement had been given. Obviously, it should have been 2008. I misspoke an eight as a nine. What does it matter? Well, someone noticed. Who? Uh, Josh Cole. Uh, great guy. He's one of the students using our resources for, for a dissertation. Um, oh, and here, in Miss Montauk's statement uh, about her father's killings, you refer to case um, uh, 922-0611 as case um, uh, 1106922. Oh, and uh, don't get me started on the other case numbers around the hilltop hauntings. They're a mess. Alleged hauntings. And who honestly cares if I misspoke case 9220611 as 1106922? Another student? Uh, well, actually, yes. Um, Samantha Emery. She's lovely. Uh, she's actually doing a PhD in manifestation. I don't care. It's not enough that Gertrude left us with such a pointlessly awkward filing system. Half the time she doesn't even stay consistent in her own records. Um, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I don't really understand the system. Last three digits of the year, then the day, then the month. I don't know why she did it like that, but I can't change it now. Oh, okay. Alright, so what happens if more than one statement is given on the same day? I... don't know. It never came up. Was there anything else? Oh yeah, just one. Good lord. So, in case 816-3103, it isn't clear if Albrecht's wife is called Clara, or Carla, because you keep switching back and forth. Well, I'm sorry if I found it hard to read a 200-year-old letter written in cursive by a native German speaker. Who complained about that one? Oh, it's it's not a complaint. Um, I just noticed, actually. <laughs> um, look, okay, I know you've been under a lot of pressure. It's not a big deal. I just think it might be worth re-recording these statements. No. I don't have time. I still have a mountain of haphazard statements to get through, not to mention that I need to keep this wretched tape recorder on hand just in case I encounter one of the files too stubborn to work on anything else. And when I do, I have to actually oh, whoa, read whoa, the damn whoa. thing, which is fine. It's fine. I just haven't been sleeping much these last few months. What with all this? Worm business, which reminds me, if you do see Elias, tell him thanks for the extra extinguishers. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, it's getting bad. I mean, uh, Martin keeps showing me his tongue, <laughs> asking if it looks infested. Um, so what do you want me to do about these errors? I really don't care. But I posted on the tapes or something. I'm not re-recording them. Now, if you'll excuse oh, me... Oh, yeah, sure, yep, yeah, I'll let you get back to it. Right. Oh. Still running. Okay. 
Statement of Carlita Sloan regarding her work on a container ship travelling to Southampton from Porto de Taqui. Original statement given January the 2nd, 2011. Audio recording by Jonathan Sims, head archivist of the Magnus Institute, London. Statement begins. I've been working the shipping routes for years now, so I know there's plenty of messed up things can happen out there. You remember the old saying, worse things happen at sea? Well, let me tell you, it's just as true now as it ever was. But I've never seen weird, like I saw when serving on the tundra. I didn't even want the job, really, but I didn't have a lot of choice. We'd just hit Porto de Itaqui in Brazil in late November of last year, when the ship I was on got stopped because of cargo irregularities. I don't know what it was. Might have been drugs, human trafficking... Might have just been a crooked harbour master looking for a kickback, but it didn't really matter. Point was, I had to jump ship. This wasn't an easy thing, though. A sailor's union should be recognised anywhere in the world, but when it came down to it, my membership of Nautilus, a UK union, meant nothing when I was trying to get a place on a cargo run coming out of Brazil. Didn't help that I'm a woman. A lot of people don't think shipping is a job for women. Hell, a lot of people who work on ships don't think it is. You don't see a lot of us in the trade, and every ounce of respect I got, some dick-waving asshole probably bled for. But that's fine. I can hold my own, and it hasn't been such a problem since I shaved my head. It was enough to keep me on land for a good few days, though, as I tried to find another ship to take me on. Well, that and my bad Spanish. I'm sure I don't need to tell you how relieved I was when I heard that a British ship had made port. The Tundra. Now, at that point, I was starting to get a bit desperate, so I was keen to go to the captain and just about beg passage. Screw my qualifications. If he needed, I'd sign on as a workaway. I could find a better position once I was somewhere I spoke the language properly. I eventually found the captain in a small bar in one of the seedier areas of the dockside. I'd been told his name was Peter Lucas, but to be honest, I wouldn't have needed his name. He was the only white guy in the place. Even by those standards, he was very pale. Weirdly so for someone who apparently lived their life on the sea. He sat there at a small table, completely alone, drinking a cup of black coffee. He was staring into the distance and didn't seem to notice anything going on around him. I sat down opposite and coughed. His eyes only moved a fraction of an inch to focus on me, but it felt as though the movement had the weight of a heavy stone door. Like a tomb. Don't know why that's what popped into my head, but there you go. I asked if he was Peter Lucas, and he said yes. I'd gone blank on what to say next, and it was then that I noticed the silence. I looked around to see that the place was now completely empty. Even the bartender was nowhere to be seen, and the only sound was the whir of the ceiling fans above us. The captain was still staring at me, so I swallowed my unease and began to explain my situation to him. I left out the part about the criminal possibilities of my last ship, but was clear that I was in desperate need of a new post. When I had finished, he was quiet for a few minutes. Then he nodded. We have one space. Report tomorrow. At dawn. That was all he said, and it was all I needed. The tundra wasn't difficult to find when I headed to the docks the next day. It was big, already stacked high with an array of colourful shipping containers. I wondered if they'd loaded it up overnight, as there didn't seem to be much activity from the crane. It was early, 
and I was glad I was leaving Brazil before the wet season really got going, as the sky was threatening to break. Making my way through the dock, I asked around until I was finally pointed to the mate. He was a short man, heavy set with a thick black beard. His warm brown skin was stained darker by a life working in the sun, and he didn't smile when he looked at me. Around his neck, I saw a chain ending in a small brass ball and stem. It looked like an old bosun's call, an antique sailor's whistle. I introduced myself, told him what I'd told the captain, and gave my qualifications and experience. The bearded mate listened quietly until I finished. Then he shrugged, and said they were in need of an ordinary seaman, and I was welcome to the position if I wanted it. OS was a bit of a step down for me, as I'd been pulling able seaman pay for these last few years, but it was a ticket out of Porto de Itaqui, so I jumped at the chance. The mate still didn't smile, but he did offer his hand, and introduced himself in a gentle Dutch accent as Thaddeus Dahl, first mate of the Tundra. I was surprised, as it seemed a bit abrupt to be leaving, and I hadn't even had time to stow away the duffel bag that was my only luggage. Still, I wasn't about to disobey the first order I'd been given on a new ship. The Tundra was pretty normal. I've served on a half-dozen ships almost identical to it, and I fell into my duties quickly. We set off almost as soon as I was on board, and it was only later I discovered we were heading across the Atlantic towards Southampton. I was very happy to find that out, as I had assumed we'd be making plenty more stops before crossing back to England. With any luck, it wouldn't be more than a couple of weeks before I was home and those would be spent in maintenance, repainting, and taking watches with Iron Mike, uh, the autopilot. So that was fine. But I did start to notice a few things on board which didn't really seem to add up. The first was the crew. They were quiet. Very quiet. I mean, I've been on ships where I was pretty much the only native English speaker, and plenty of people prefer to keep to themselves. Hell, not being too comfortable around people is a damn fine reason to go to sea. This was different, though. It wasn't just that they didn't talk much. They seemed uncomfortable with me. They'd avoid eye contact and only barely acknowledge me if we were on shift together. At first, I thought it was because I was a woman, but then I saw that it wasn't just me. They avoided each other just as much as they did me. Meals were always quiet, no matter how many people were eating, and there was no friendly game of cards or chat in the living quarters. There was no real conversation in any language. It was like they were doing everything in their power not to think about each other. It took me less than a day of ignored hellos and grunted answers before I fell into line, becoming just as quiet as my crewmates. The only person who spoke was Thaddeus Dahl. The mate would walk among the crew, giving instructions and orders in a dozen different languages as the crew scrambled to carry out his commands. He was just as composed as he had been when I met him, and it soon became clear that, if he had emotions, he kept a tight wrap on them. He would stride along the ship, his antique whistle swinging from his neck. He never actually blew the bosun's call, apparently preferring to summon the crew via the intercom or horn. It just hung there, its polished brass heavy around his neck. I didn't see Captain Lucas at all that first week. I only knew he was on board because every mealtime the cooks would hand a tray of food to the mate who'd take it up to the captain's cabin. We never saw the man himself, though. 
there was one crew member who did catch my eye. He was a young guy, white, and from what I could tell, Scottish. I never really got more than his name out of him. Sean Kelly. He had the bunk opposite me, and we were on different shifts, so I would often see him lying there when I returned from my night watch. He didn't talk any more than the others, but he also didn't go around with that blank look on his face. He looked scared. There were other odd things about the ship, but hands down the weirdest thing I didn't notice until a few days out into the Atlantic. Now, one of my duties was to check the deck containers were securely in place. None of the twist locks or lashing rods had broken or come loose. It was usually just busy work. I'd never been on a ship that lost a container, though it does happen. This shift, though, I noticed something wrong. I saw that one of the lashing rods towards the stern had broken. And not at one of the ends, or the twist lock itself, but right in the middle of what should have been solid metal. From a distance it looked fine, new paint shining in the sun. But looking closer, I saw that it had rusted all the way through. Not just that, but checking out where the rod connected to the container, it became clear that they had rusted together. Fresh paint covered up most of it, but once I knew what I was looking for, I saw it everywhere. The shipping containers, all of them, were rusted in place. How could this have happened, though, if... They were being changed over at port. How long had the Tundra been sailing with the same cargo? I decided I had to look inside. Stupid, maybe. If it was something illegal, they might toss me overboard first and ask questions never, but only if I got caught. And I was just about sick of nasty surprises. I did it on my next late shift. I kept an eye on the rest of the crew and waited for my moment. I'd already marked out a ground-level container where the padlock had practically rusted off. It wouldn't be difficult to get it open. It was about 3am when I had my chance. I was alone on deck, and the wind was howling, loud enough to muffle the groan of the container's rusted hinges. It took three kicks from my steel toe caps to get it open, but finally I was able to get the door ajar. It was so stiff it took almost all my strength to get enough of a gap to walk through, but finally... I could see inside. It was completely empty. There was no sign of cargo or any markings or debris on the floor that might have shown that there had ever been anything inside. I couldn't believe it. A transport ship with nothing to transport. It didn't make any sense. I managed to bust two other containers open, but they were the same. As far as I could tell, every container on the ship was empty. I was still trying to figure out what this could mean when I saw a couple of torches approaching. I almost panicked and ran, but where exactly was I going to escape to? The empty, uncaring ocean stretched out for hundreds of miles in every direction. So instead I swallowed my fear, and pushed the door carefully closed, trying my best to hide the broken lock before making my way onto the deck. I was met by the mate and a half-dozen other crewmen behind him. He looked at me for a second, then nodded, and told me to follow. Then he continued walking. Confused, I headed after them as they made their way around the ship, silently collecting up or waking all the rest of the crew. I started to ask what was going on, but the glares I got shut me right up. Finally, 
when we had what looked like the whole crew together, we walked over to the lifeboat. Now, we definitely weren't sinking, so I hadn't really paid much attention to the lifeboat before, but now that I looked at it, I realised it wasn't what I'd have expected. Most modern container ships have a lifeboat that looks more like a lumpy orange blob than a boat. They're designed to be quickly and safely dropped into the water and tough out whatever conditions the sea might throw at them. But this was an old-fashioned boat, with oars and a winch mechanism for lowering it into the water. It didn't even look like it had any supplies in it. Standing there in front of it was Captain Lucas, as silent as the rest of his crew. The captain nodded, and one by one the crew of the Tundra got on board the lifeboat. I got on too, I mean, what else was I supposed to do? I didn't know what was going on and no one seemed to want to tell me, but I sure as hell wasn't getting left alone on that big empty ship. So I got in and sat down as a couple of the crew began to lower the lifeboat into the sea. A few others took up the oars, and as soon as we hit the water, they began to row quietly away from the tundra, which floated, motionless. The sky was clear, and the wind had died down, so the stars reflected perfectly on the still ocean surface. All the lights on the ship had been turned off, so the world and all the empty horizon was only lit by the moon. As we rowed, I looked around my companions on the lifeboat. Everyone I recognised was there, except for one. I checked each face in turn, but I could see no sign of Sean Kelly, my scared bunkmate. Had we left him behind? Was he still back on the ship, sleeping away, ignorant of the fact that he was now utterly and completely alone? Almost as though he knew I was about to speak, Tadeus gave me a warning glare. The mate reached down and took the old brass whistle from his neck. He pressed it to his lips and blew. I have never heard a whistle sound like that. It was shrill, so high and piercing that I felt my hair stand on end, but it also seemed distant like I was hearing it from far, far away. I don't know how long he blew that bosun's call for, but by the end, I realised we were surrounded by a thick sea smoke. We should have been too far south for it, but it rolled and billowed around the lifeboat, obscuring the tundra. No one said a word, but I could have sworn a few of my shipmates were crying. I don't know how long we floated there, sat in the dark water, but eventually the fog cleared, and the mate sounded the bosun's call again, this time a short, sharp whistle. We saw the tundra, dark and still upon the water, and began to row back towards it. The lifeboat was painstakingly raised, and the rest of the crew returned to their positions. Sean Kelly was nowhere to be seen, and I never saw him again. After that night, the atmosphere on board changed. People talked, and you'd occasionally hear actual laughter. Games were played, people drank, and there was this sense of relief to it all. I tried to join in, but got dark looks any time I asked about Sean. At one point, the third mate, a man named Kim Duong, 
told me that I should shut up and be grateful, as it hadn't been an easy choice. I kept to myself the rest of the way and left the ship as soon as we landed in Southampton. I didn't even think about my pay until it came through a couple of days later. Twenty-five thousand pounds. For barely two weeks' work. I don't mind telling you. It was almost enough to tempt me back. Almost. Statement ends. An interesting statement, though difficult to investigate any potentially paranormal activity, as there does not appear to have been anything explicitly supernatural occurring in this statement. A lot of strange happenings and implicit weirdness, but nothing that can be isolated as a supernatural event. There's also the fact that even a casual search of Port Authority records shows the Tundra is a currently active cargo ship operating for Solace Shipping PLC. A company founded and majority owned by Nathaniel Lucas. In addition to such business ventures, the Lucas family also provides funding to several academic and research organizations, including the Magnus Institute. Much as I want to dig further into this, especially given certain parallels with case 0161301, Elias gets very twitchy when we look into anything that might conceivably have funding repercussions. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do any further investigations into this, even though the official crew manifest for the Tundra has remained the same for the last ten years, even though I can't find any record of actual cargo being loaded or unloaded into it from any UK port, even though Sean Kelly disappeared from the port of Felixstowe in October 2010, and his body washed up on the coast of Morocco in April 2011, six months later. According to the coroner, it had only been in the water for five days. Maybe I'll mention it to Elias, just in case. End recording. The Magnus Archives is a podcast distributed by RustyQuill.com and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike International License. Today's episode was written and performed by Jonathan Sims. It was produced by Alexander J. Newell and Mike LeBeau and directed by Alexander J. Newell. To comment on episodes, make donations and view links, images, videos and show notes, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at the Rusty Quill, or email us at mail at rustyquill.com. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later.